Hey, it's Andy from Talking to Teens. It would mean the world to us if you could leave us a five-star review. Reviews on Apple and Spotify help other parents find the show, and that helps us keep the lights on. Thanks for being a listener, and here's the show. You're listening to Talking to Teens, where we speak with leading experts from a variety of disciplines about the art and science of parenting teenagers. I'm your host, Andy Earle. Our guest today is Mattis Miller. He is a clinical social worker and certified cognitive and dialectical behavior therapist with more than 15 years of experience. He's the founder, director, and supervisor of the Center for Cognitive and Behavioral Therapy of New Jersey, and he's the author of The Uncontrollable Child. We'll look at choosing the right rewards and punishments and why a lot of parents are thinking the wrong way about punishment. We're also going to talk about how to assess whether or not you're being effective and how to tell when you're invalidating your teenager. Then we'll look at the opposite end of the spectrum. How do you validate a teen? What do you validate? And we'll talk about how to phrase things positively so that even when you're telling your teenager something bad, it sounds good. Finally, we'll talk about setting boundaries and we'll look at the specific limiting beliefs that hold parents back from doing this effectively. Really, really looking forward to discussing difficult children with Mattis today and talking about some practical strategies parents can use to control defiant and manipulative behavior and get teenagers back in line. Mattis, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I just read this book of yours, The Uncontrollable Child, Understand and Manage Your Child's Disruptive Moods with Dialectical Behavior Therapy Skills. And, you know, it seems like if you're choosing a type of children to work with, they would want to be nice, well-behaved children. So why uncontrollable children? Why are you writing a book about this, spending time working on this? Why do you think it's so important? I found Andy when I was working with a lot of people and in my work as a psychotherapist and consulting parents, I found two things. Firstly, I found even those children that you might not see as uncontrollable or some people don't perceive them as uncontrollable, the parents view them as uncontrollable. So the uncontrollable child might be uncontrollable to one and not uncontrollable to the other. And, and that's really speaking to the book. I, I couldn't, as I say to people, I, I couldn't make the title of the book, The Uncontrollable Parent, because I don't think it would sell. Um, but, but I think in, 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 a way, in a way, it's very much how the parent is perceiving the child. The other thing is, and, and real honestly, I, I was focusing on that emotionally sensitive, reactive, perhaps delinquent child, because I felt that was an area that there was lacking. You know, there are wonderful parenting books uh, podcasts, articles, and techniques and skills and strategies that work with many. But when it comes to that more challenging, difficult child, that's where often parents are helped. And they can have, you know, three children or larger families or less. And the other children, they seem to be doing just fine. 
it's just that child that seems different or a poor fit or more sensitive. Uh, it could be socially or academically where the parents are coming in and saying help. And I, I really felt there was a need for some of the concepts in DBT and behaviorism to be able to impart that to these parents to fill that gap. So you talk about DBT, and the basis of DBT is a dialectical. Um, and what does that mean? Yeah, dialectical sounds really scientific. And it's actually, at first, it's very overwhelming. But I think as, as it sinks in, it can actually become part of you, the whole concept of dialectics. And it's really rich. It comes from, you know, similarly to the word dialogue, the root dialogue, in, is dialectics. And dialectics is, is the theory and the idea is that we can have two opposing op opposites, two concepts that are, are, are contradictory or appear contradictory, and they can actually both stand at the same time. They can both be true at the same time. And the classic dialectic that we refer to in DBT is the concepts of acceptance and change, which you would think to yourself, if I'm accepting a situation, it is what it is. I got to deal with it. This is life. This is the situation. I can't change it. If I'm focusing on change, then I'm actively problem solving. I'm looking for solutions. I'm trying to figure it out. So if I'm changing, changing, if I'm accepting, accepting, dialectics allows us to have these two ideas. And we use the tension of both through dialogue to move towards truth and change over time. So... I would say dialectics in, with teenagers and parenting is so often we're interacting with our children and our teens and we don't get them and they don't make sense and we can't see these, their perspective. And dialectics helps us open our mind, broaden our perspective, shift our focus and seeing that there can be one idea and another idea and they can both stand at the same time. So at the heart of these approaches in this book is this idea of acceptance. And um, you write that there are roadblocks to acceptance. And something that I found really interesting was you talk about thinking errors that parents can have, um, especially like, for example, thinking about lots of should kinds of statements because should suggest overlooking or uh, ignoring the cause of the behavior and getting stuck on what you wish were true rather than what actually is true. So what are some of those ways that we get stuck in like uh, ways of thinking that prevent us from acceptance? And then also uh, I'm, I'm still interested in how that acceptance and the change kind of coexist, you know, with each other at the same time there. Yeah, sure. No, two great questions. As a cognitive therapist, as a trained cognitive therapist, we understand scientifically that our thoughts affect our emotions and our affect our behaviors, as well as our emotions and behaviors affect our thinking patterns. But very often when we have roadblocks and being able to implement certain ideas, concepts, strategies, is because we have certain beliefs or thoughts that are in our mind that are very often not true or as true as we think. And even if they are true, 
they're not helpful thinking patterns. Okay, yeah. Um, so when I talk about some of the roadblocks and being able to accept your child or yourself or your situation, I specifically focus on one comment. He shouldn't be acting like this. She shouldn't be doing this. This is not how it's supposed to be. And that should believe is where we're taking our expectations, our perspective, our reality, and putting it on the current. And in truth, if your teenager is trashing his room, he should be trashing his room. Now, I know when I say that to people, they open their mouths wide open. I'm like, what do you mean? You shouldn't be trashing his room. Of course, he's should. No, he shouldn't. We don't want him doing, don't that. Want him doing that. And the answer is, of course, but that acceptance doesn't mean that we approve of the situation. Acceptance is getting in touch with the reality what is. And what is, is what should be in that moment is he should, that's what is. But looking at causes, like what is leading to him trashing the room? What is leading to those problem behaviors? So we first accept what is and let go of those shoulds of what we want. And yes, that can come with sadness and disappointment and hurt and pain. But as someone had recently shared with me, he said, I don't know, when I was reading your book about acceptance, I don't know exactly what you were trying to get at, but I noticed myself feeling so much less angry, anger towards my children. As I let go of those shoulds and I accepted the reality and that this is what should be, or this as is, even though it's upsetting, I noticed I was more accepting and less frustrated and less angry. And that gets to your second point, Amy, is when I accept that reality of who my team is or where they're at and, and their behaviors, that can actually help me move towards change. Yeah. Very often, acceptance is the key to change mm. because now I can get understand that there is something here that's wrong. There's something here that needs to change, perhaps within myself or perhaps within my child's environment, but there are causes. And if I can look at those causes, I can move towards change. But one of the balances of acceptance and change is understanding I need to accept what is in order to make change. Now that's not necessarily the case. Sometimes there are certain things about perhaps my team, I can't change right now. Um, perhaps a decision they're making, yeah. Um, or something, the way they're behaving, or perhaps a struggle, an emotional struggle that they have. And in such a case, I have to yeah. move towards acceptance and accept fully, radically, wholly who my child is. Now, where does that come in with change? Because if I would just accept, I'd say, this is what it is. Can you imagine for a second, like someone uh, would have uh, a trial of chemotherapy. Let's talk about medical for a minute. And it's not being affected. And so the person realizes that there is no other treatment right now. They need to accept and embrace what is and their medical illness. Does that mean if a week later, a new trial comes out that's very promising that they say, oh, no, no, I'm on the acceptance train right now. I'm not taking no change for me. I'm doing acceptance. Yeah, right. So acceptance and change, just because we're accepting the moment, that doesn't mean at the same time we're open for the next moment to be changed that perhaps we'll identify something else. It's a constant balance. It's like being a skillful dancer on a dance floor is constantly going back and forth between that balance of acceptance and change. Sometimes we're more on the acceptance area. Sometimes we're more on the change. 
So how do we like find that balance or how do we know when we're veering off of balance? Excellent. And that's where mindfulness comes in. That's where awareness comes in. And mindfulness is the ability for us to take that step back. So often we get so sucked up in our emotion and we keep continuing the same behavior again and again. I like to think of it. I give this example sometimes. It's like the teacher in the classroom. Kids are acting up. Certain child's acting up, teenagers acting up. They throw them out of the class. Why do they throw them out of the class? Well, if you'd ask them very often, they would say, well, this, this he needs to learn. Like you have to behave in the class in a certain way. And if they're not going to behave in the class, they'll step, step out of the class. It's three months later. He's still getting kicked out of the class and hasn't learned. And they're staying stuck right. in that pattern again and again and again. Mindfulness is one of the key mindfulness skills, the ability to take a step back and saying, is this effective? What's driving me? What's driving the behavior? What's going on? And in order to be able to hold that balance of acceptance and change, we need to be very aware as parents of our own thoughts, as we talked about, our own emotions, our urges, our expectations. And we need to be aware of our child, our adolescent, our teenager. How are they responding? Is this working for them? Is, there, is this effective? I mean, it's getting into yeah. that state of mind where we're grounded, we're present, we're open, so we can take a step back. And that's why one of my favorite words is, is this effective? Not about wrong, about right. Is this working? And if it's not, maybe it's a time to shift the balance. You know, maybe I'm trying to change my teenager. It's so much change, change. You know, clean up your room, clean up your room wear these clothing that's not okay no one walks out like that and and that's creating so much tension in the relationship it's causing so much tension in the relationship and therefore they need to take that step back and say maybe i have to move away from the change right now this isn't working this is causing stress in our relationship this is leading now it's time to move towards acceptance a little bit right i have to nurture that that relationship you talk about the five to one ratio of um, positive and negative interactions. And um, it strikes me that you kind of have to shift to maintain that. Like uh, if things are not going so well, then yeah, you shift more towards acceptance and um, positivity and kind of bringing up your ratio a little bit. And then, um, yeah, once you establish a firm kind of base over there, then you can start to shift more towards change again. Beautiful. Exactly. got a thing in here that i really liked on page 41 that's called half smile and willing hands and um it's just a little exercise where you put your face into kind of a partially smile and then put your hands up i guess like this um and you think this is really um, a helpful thing for people to to master why is that because what we know from science and research is that our body actually communicates to our mind. Um, and there's been studies done with, you know, specific study that comes to mind is where a well-known study taking a pencil and putting it in your mouth uh, so that your, your uh, lips are going up a little bit. Uh, and they had one group had that and another group, just a regular passive sort of face. And they both uh, were read uh, uh, some sort of joke or something like that. And the group that actually was making that little bit of a smile actually felt 
more positivity, even a stronger emotion because of the way their facial expressions communicate to their body. And why I love this skill, the idea of half smile, rolling hands is because as a parent, when your emotions are high, it's very difficult to get in touch, mindful with your emotion and your thought process. This is something you can physically do. And often physically doing things is easier than changing thought process or addressing emotion. And you can be sitting yeah. there and you know, you're driving your car and you're taking a trip and your teenager in the back is just, you know, egging on his sister, trying to, you know, annoy her, irritate her, or just wants a reaction. And you're sitting there and you're like about flow. Like, you know, it's an hour and a half. <laughs> and just imagine for a second. I mean, perhaps you're driving or not driving, but putting that little bit of half smile on your face, not like one, a grin that doesn't feel real, but just turning up your lips a little bit, opening up your hands slightly and telling yourself as you're doing that, like this is what it is. This is who he is. This is what happens when we go on these trips. And I'm not gonna change this right now. Even just the behavior, just making that little, that little smile, opening your hands a bit, uh, try it. You'll see it. It actually can have a, help you move towards acceptance of the moment. Can you talk to me a little bit about judgment? Why is judgment bad? Why isn't that a good thing? How do you even really define that? Well, I, I think if we ask e each one of us, uh, what does it feel like when you're judged by others? I think we all have been judged in our lives. And I think we can all be aware of the, how harmful and painful it is to be judged. That's firstly. Although it's true, positive judgment does not have the same negative consequences as a negative judgment. Uh, and we do certainly want to judge people positively. But if we are struggling, which we all struggle with, of being judgmental, start to practice by letting go of all judgment can be very, very effective. And judgment in parenting, and that really gets back to something we talked about earlier, very much our shoulds, um, because we are labeling things as good or bad. Mm. And when we label things as good or bad, we don't actually get to see the entire picture. He's just a bad kid. The kid's just a mess. He's out of control, right? <laughs> Even though it's called the uncontrollable child. When we, when we label the child and we define the child, we're not opening our mind to see what is. The judgment is covering over the full picture as opposed to saying is, yeah. you know, when my child doesn't clean up his room and leaves it a mess, the whole house smells you know, I, I, I can't even walk in there. It's so, it's suffocating. And I wish he would do something about it to clean it up. That allows me to be more in touch with my reality, what is my emotions and my feeling and feel less anger. The other problems with judgment is judgment does lead to negative emotion. And pe people experience and our children experience, even if we don't say it, even if we're thinking it, our body languages, our gestures yeah and they, they and often i mean teenagers have shared with me it's not about what their parents say 
It's about how they act or react or their facial expressions. And it's so clear that they're seeing me as crazy, mm. not normal. And that makes them feel distant yeah, from their yeah, parents. Yeah. Um, and that makes them feel isolated. Um, and it really, really damages the relationship. Let's just go through this. First of all, it's your own emotional experience because if you have judgment, that's going to lead to more frustration and anger, which is going to hurt your child. It's how your child actually feels about you and the relationship as, as the judgment. And we also talked about the fact that it's you're missing the, the entire picture when you're quick to label things as good or bad instead of describing what is. Again, judgment, again, is putting your, your interpretation of what should be rather than what is. So then the opposite is being non-judgmental. And that's just as simple as just not judging. Um, or is there more to it being non-judgmental? So I know often people say, what do you mean be non-judgmental? I mean, my kid's coming back three in the morning, not listening to a thing I'm saying, not doing his homework. What, I'm supposed to be, you know, come by, uh, this is all good, let everything be, love, 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 right? You know? No judgment. Just, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think that's not, I think that's also not being in touch with reality. <laughs> I think that's also not acknowledging what it is. Yeah, right. So I think what I mean by non-judgmental is I describing what it is and looking at the consequences and the causes instead of legal so it could be, you can say, well, my kid comes at three in the clock in the morning, walks in, you know, it's, I'm really frustrated. I'm thinking in my mind, I've told him so many times, I've told her so many times, why doesn't she get it? When I see that he's failing and he's not doing his homework and he's not preparing for his exams, you know, I, I worry about the future. I worry about the consequences of that. So it's looking at, what is and the causes and the consequences rather than getting stuck in judgment and blaming and accepting again with my kids so exactly lazy or, exactly because yeah. lazy is a judgment as opposed to when he or and you can by the way and you can say i have a judgment thought in my mind i just had a thought my kid is lazy i'm thinking my kid is lazy because when i the thoughts are real that's factual whether the child is lazy or not, that's what yeah. I'm interpreting. Because I bet if you if you ask Bobby over there, you say, "Are you lazy?" I am not lazy. Just see the kids in my class. You want to know what right. lazy is, right? Everyone has a different interpretation, and getting stuck into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Place. Exactly. It's so easy to get stuck in those things, and we just accept the judgment, and then start spiraling off. Like, how did this kid get so lazy? I don't know. It doesn't even make sense. Like, what? Uh, and we model such good, hardworking, and it just, I don't know where we went wrong. And yeah, I was going to say even more so. I love what you're saying, that whole trend of thought. And then you say, when I was a kid, my parents would never let me get away with that. You know, we worked so hard. Yeah, we, we were right. never lazy. That was never okay. So it just, it continues to spiral with judgment on top of judgment yeah, and negativity. Right, right. Instead of us acknowledging, he is who he is for whatever causes, and there is a cause. Was it me? I don't know. Was it him? Was it society? Is it culture? Is it influential? Is it friends? Who knows? But the bottom line is, this is his behavior. Does that mean we approve of it? No. Does that mean we want to continue? Not necessarily. We don't want to continue. 
But if we can let, a, let go of judgment, take a non-judgmental stance, it's more effective to move towards change. Parents don't realize that. If we let go of judgment, yeah. there's more likely that the child will change those behaviors. We're here today with Mattis Miller talking about how to handle difficult, defiant, and resistant teenagers. And we're not done yet. Here's a look at what's coming up in the second half of the show. There's a lot of research that says even validating and labeling someone's emotional experience actually helps them regulate that emotion. You have to have that ability to take a step back and be aware, present, grounded, and open and say, am I being that person I want to be? Is this how I envision myself when that cute little baby came into my life? The goal of the punishment is actually to stop the behavior. But you have to keep in mind is punishment is only that effective because the child or the teenager doesn't necessarily learn alternative behaviors through punishment. You have to ask yourself, is that thought process leading to emotions that's going to help me connect to my kid, love my kid, nurture my kid? understand my child Mm. so what i'm saying is when you notice that thought of laziness and realize maybe it's not such an effective thing so try to reframe it and modify it to see as you know what when my child does that it makes me think that he's lazy and i i perceive it as laziness and that behavior is actually creating a lot of problem because there's a lot of responsibilities that he has that aren't getting done because if I walk over to that child and say to him, you know, what is going on with you? You've been so lazy lately. Versus I go over to the child and say, using validation, hey, listen, I know you got a lot of work. I know you're not the motivated type. I know, yeah, yeah, your sister there, she's motivated. She wants to get into Ivy League college. She's pushing those books. She's taking those AP courses. That's just not for you. I get it. I get it. This is your tendency. This is your, maybe it's your makeup. Maybe you're like uh, grandpa, whatever it might be. But I think you got a lot of strengths. At the same time, dialectics, at the same time, we need to figure out how to, you know, you have these responsibilities that aren't getting done. So what I'm going to say is next time you want to go out on the weekend, you got to show me that the work is done before you go out. Perhaps that might be the intervention. So if I get stuck in that judgment and leave, it's not going to allow me to be able to go ahead. So we're framing that, seeing it non-judgmental will be more effective in moving towards change. Want to hear the full interview? Sign up for a subscription today. You get access to all the interviews I've conducted, as well as new episodes weeks before the general public. It's completely affordable, and your subscription helps support the work we do here at Talking to Teens. Thanks for listening.